This episode is looming large, but not as large as it could be. So in this episode, I'm just going to focus on call-ins and recaps. The promised review and maybe some unboxings in another podcast or the next one. But here, let's just keep it simple, right? I forgot to mention that last song, Dolly Parton. I guess this song, guessing contest is a joke to you, isn't it? Jason Connerly of Nerds Variety RPG cast infamy. You might be right because there is a variation of that song where Dolly Parton does sing a part, but that's not what I was getting at. And I'm sure you know where, who the song is really ascribed to, but you're just being cheeky as usual. And interestingly, my friends, the infamous gamers who used to not be gamers, guessed it right away. So, hey, they know their songs. Maybe you gotta learn something from them. Okay, Carl, listen to your latest. I did have fun in the Cthulhu Invictus, so please don't think I didn't. I was kind of poking at you a little bit. I was a little bit serious, though. Just because that's what happened historically doesn't mean that's what has to happen in the game, per se. But I had a lot of fun in that game. I'm not complaining. Um, I'm, I'm pulling your chain more than anything. And as far as the first song cue, I'm going to say Rush. It sounds like a Rush song. Let me get back to listening. Well, thank you for saying that, Jason. It's hard to tell sometimes if you're serious or not, truth be told. But I think everyone enjoyed it anyway, so I know you're just poking fun, ultimately. And my idea was, and I probably will respond more to another call-in that you made about the story that a GM wants to tell, character out or outlines and such, but I wanted to do an experiment where a horror tale or, and I think it worked actually, a horror tale with a backdrop of a tragic event. And the tragic event, the backdrop was a, the historical event of the loss of the three legions in the Todeberg forest in 9 AD. So to the Germanic tribes of the region and the, basically the German, Germanic, uh, I don't know if we'd call it rebellion, were they occupied? I guess they were occupied, so it would have been a rebellion against Roman occupation at that time. But I threw in the weird stuff, and I really... But there wasn't a lot of weird. It was in the background, and I think what worked really well, and I believe that all the players bought in, was sort of the the slow-growing despair of knowing that there is an impending doom. And I think that was pretty cool. Hey, what up, Carl? Great stuff, man. Uh, that was awesome to hear you talking about Pathfinder Savage Worlds or Savage Worlds Pathfinder. I've heard a little bit about it, but not too much. And that was really cool. Get kind of a little mini glimpse. I know next to nothing about Savage Worlds. I mean, I've heard you, you talk about it and other folks talk about it, but I've never read it or anything. But... It does really sound interesting, and I've always been into the idea of Deadlands, but never played it. So I don't know, man. Maybe I'll have to look into some Savage Worlds. Anyway, good stuff. Peace out. Okay, Warhammer fantasy character creation sounds a lot like the Mutant Chronicles fantasy character creation, where in Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition 2D20, Edifius, you can either do random or you can spend points to pick certain things. 
So I really like that mechanic. It sounds like Warhammer might incorporate it even better. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that. As far as Savage Worlds goes, I'm a big fan. I think it's one of the best systems out there. Very versatile system, as obviously you're describing here in, in your show. Sounds like you had a lot of fun in your games over the weekend, which is really cool. And I really appreciate your recap on tours. Thank you. Thanks, Joe Richter of Hindsightless Podcast and Jason again from Nerds Variety RPG Cast on the comments about Savage Worlds. Yeah, I really enjoy Savage Worlds. I think it's a great system. I might go more in detail about the various rules and incarnations during certain recaps. However, I have used aspects of Savage Worlds. I like the modularity in other games. For example, I use a dramatic task to mark character's progress in a bar fight in a 5e game that I'm running. And it worked pretty well. I used it for chase scenes in other games. So I like that you can pull things out and use them. And people really enjoy... As clunky as it sounds on paper, people enjoy action cards for initiative, and it doesn't take that long, and people enjoy when you get a raise. I think there's honestly more excitement when you get a big raise on a damage roll than when you get a 20 or as a crit in a D20 style game. So, and bennies. Who doesn't like bennies? Well, I have heard on recent podcasts that there are naysayers about bennies, but there are many games, including, for example, the Mutant Year Zero games by Free League, Free Lagan, that um, use like rerolls, and that dramatically increases your chances of success. So, right, if you do that in Modifius style 2D20 games and you use momentum to reroll or your special hero point meta currency to re-roll or give yourself a one i mean it amounts to the same thing you vastly increase your chances of success and i think that's what these games want to convey is that you you as a, a big damn hero can succeed in these tasks and i think people like big damn hero games there are different styles of play to be sure but you know, you, you want to win. You don't want to be frustrated in a game where it's just a slog and no matter what you do, your character perishes no matter how smart you are. Oh, well, you know, you're dead. Make up a new character. And these other games, you know, they really help convey the danger, convey the action, and make you feel like you've done something cool and heroic. Okay, you don't need to publish this one if you don't want to. Possible topic. So you said that Savage Worlds helped Kevin tell the game or the story he wanted to tell. And so that brings up the idea of a GM having a story they want to tell, which makes you think of the idea of a railroad because it's a preset story that the characters have limited control over affecting if they're trying to tell a specific story. I know both at times you've done this sort of thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but this is my question. And I know Arlen has also talked, and Arlen's a fan of this kind of thing as well. So I'm interested in your thoughts on 
GM telling a story versus GM just overseeing the game, being an arbiter of the game and letting the game go where it will. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Thank you. I guess it depends is the answer, Jason. Sometimes as a GM, I have a story in mind, like the aforementioned Todeberg Forest, Call of Cthulhu, Roman Invictus thing we did last year, where this is what's going to happen. But then really the most important thing and the most interesting thing is how the players react to the backdrop. And it's really not the story I want to tell. That's a, that is what happened. The story that is told is how, how the characters survive or don't survive and the legacy that is added to their character's history, the legacy they bring, the influence they have on true history by their actions or not. I mean, that was my intention for that game. And a lot of times when you run a published adventure, right, it is a story. You want to go in a certain direction. And there's even, especially especially for, I don't know, I can't remember what the, it's called, not a dungeon crawl, but a point crawl, especially with a point crawl. I mean, there are quantum ogres all over the place. And I'm not honestly a fan of that. If we're going to do some sort of point crawl or crawl this or that, then the character should have options to skip points. Or if it's in a hex crawl, then it's more procedural, and then it's where the characters go, right? Um, I've done both, right? I've, in Broken Lands, there really is no set story. It's what hex the characters want to visit, and I know where what are in certain locations, and we'll see how the characters do. Sometimes the characters might take off, by, take off, take on more than they can handle, but sometimes the characters get super stupid lucky and kill something they shouldn't kill or destroy something, overcome some challenge they shouldn't overcome and get heaps and heaps of treasure. And then I'm accused, of course, of then being a Monty Hall GM and I'm, I favor the characters and I should be killing them instead, especially in these old style games, right? But that's the way it is sometimes, you know? And I would say I prefer character driven, but time-wise, I sometimes you don't have the time to get these things together. Now, that being said, when I'm looking at making my own types of adventures, I do have a rough outline of what's gonna happen. But in an investigative adventure, it can go in different directions, right? What clues do they find? Where do they go to investigate? And yes, there's an overall story and there's probably things going on in the background, that, but the characters can intervene at different points. So, you know, it depends. I know uh, Kevin shared this a lot on his Dungeon Musings podcast is it really, and he showed us his outlines for the, his story that he wanted to tell was not more than a few lines per event and per page. And the outcomes really dependent on what we would do. And what if we didn't, what if we had not succeeded in the battle? We were, we were getting our asses handed to us, man. And just some lucky rolls and some smart thinking got us ahead, but he had probably a contingency, he probably had a flow chart. What if? Um, then it would have been more maybe a, us as prisoners trying to escape. <laughs> you know, so who, who knows what would have happened, right? So what if we would have not have succeeded? Then he has contingencies, and that's, I think, what you do is you have a, an outline, you have a plan in mind, um, but it might not always occur. And what I think he meant by that 
the rules allowed him to tell the story he wanted to tell is that because of the modularity of Savage Worlds, when he wanted to add a battle or when he wanted to add a chase scene, it was not hard to incorporate. And it wasn't like, oh man, what do I do now? Or, or because the characters took this turn, what do I do now? It was, it was really the flexibility of the Savage World system that allowed him to have a very brief outline and then come up with a story that he thought would be super cool with his the ideas he had about this sort of traveler out of time and how he interacted with the near god thing, uh, I guess an awakened AI um, having reached singularity and how that singularity tried to get itself into our universe, but we stopped it cold, right? That's I guess that's what he wanted to do, and whether we succeeded or not, I guess I was up in the air based on die rolls and thinking and strategy that we didn't really know what was on the back end. So there you go. I think that's the answer in brief. I'm sure we can discuss it more and more. I know you all kid about me railroading this or the other, but generally I think you're just kidding. Sorry, I missed the game Sunday morning, Carl. Do you need to, you need a janitor at your lab? I could quit my job, move out there and be janitor. Then I'd be available. You could just make sure my hours work around the game schedule. I'd be down for that. I'd only want you to become a janitor if you fell into some toxic waste and became the toxic Avenger, Jason. And honestly, shit happens. We miss sometimes. Hey, let us know ahead of time what the work schedule might be or might happen, so I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to rage quit or anything. Um... I'm having too much fun running games, and sometimes it's nice to just sleep in. The first game I ran last week, June 7th, which was on, it was on a Tuesday, and it was, so it's June 8th, and that was Mutant Chronicles. Mutant Chronicles is one of the first 2D20 games that Modiphius put out, and it is a near-future sci-fi, sci-fantasy that has, in this incarnation, there's three different eras you can play. The Dark Symmetry era, which is the beginning of the chaos that overtakes the solar system. And then there's Dark Legion, which is in the midst of the chaos. And then Dark Eden, which I think is chaos winning. But uh, we'll see. I don't know if we'll ever get to those. I decided to start with Dark Symmetry because I like the idea of being there at the beginning. And we actually ran the... It's part of the quick start, but they also reprinted it and reworked it into the Dark Symmetry campaign book called Strafar Gatan 39. Uh, Jason Connerly did a great job of telling the tale from a player's perspective in his latest podcast in here, so I won't go into super big details. But he did say some pretty cool things that he thought I did well, and maybe I'll give some insight as to how I arrived at that. One of the neat things about the adventure, there are various, in the published adventure, that there are various stages of weird. So phase one, two, three, and they gave you what was happening at the various stages in the particular encounters that occurred, which makes for a little more text in the adventure itself, but it's kind of cool and it tells you how, when to progress these various adventures or these various stages throughout the adventure. So 
your phase one's pretty innocuous, everything seems normal, um, very mundane encounters you deal with, and then phase two, after a few things occur, gets to the weird. And I think that was really nice because it helped me outline my thoughts on how I would progress things. And really, the progression depended on what the players' actions, what the players did, and how they interacted with the environment, which I thought was neat. So the faster they go, the faster it escalates. If they do certain things or investigate certain things, that could trigger an escalation, etc. And I, I think what was really good, too, is that we did this adventure in one session. Um, we had had a session zero, sort of, with this, where we got together and made characters, and I helped people make characters using the... Uh, the online meet and chronicle generator, um, which I think worked well enough. There are some glitches, but hey, you know, we did what we could and corrected where we, we needed to. So I think that phasing really helped me to outline how the creepy factor, the creepiness factor would escalate. So I just went with it. And I think um, even though a at least one of the characters tends to be very cheeky and joke a lot. I don't know, out of nervousness or whatever. This is a game, obviously, and he doesn't want to take it too seriously. I did try to maintain a serious focus throughout, and I guess that worked. I'm sure I can add some comedy and silliness, for example, when I had some of the gang members called the Croakers, so like a frog. So when they said, here, picky picky, come out and play, it was right a riff on the Warriors movie. So that little bit of silliness and pop culture reference aside, I think it was pretty serious and the creep factor came out, at least according to Jason and I feel the others too, which was neat. And I felt what I liked, there is a, in this incarnation of the 2D20 system for Meet and Chronicles, there's more granularity and it's not as bad, in my opinion, again, as Infinity, where everything is codified. But there's just enough granularity so that combat goes pretty smoothly. The guns all feel different because they can do different things. And the characters can take various actions and use the meta currency called momentum pretty well. And Someone had commented about the Modifius 2D20 and this thing called Doom, uh, which is what's called in, in the Conan game, but it's called Dark Symmetry Points, and it's the meta currency that the GM gets to kind of mess with and impose things upon the characters. Well, some people have commented that makes it an antagonistic game, but I mean, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of the times the recommendation, or at least in this adventure, the recommendation is to save your DSPs so that you can proc certain abilities for the big bad at the end. But uh, it's always fun to use the DSPs as inspiration to have things happen to the character. And then what's interesting too is that DSPs can be generated by character actions or their failures. So you can fail forward, but at a cost, right? So the characters can get the clue or survive the sanity check, but it comes at a cost, which is DSPs for the GM. Right, so I don't, believe it's antagonistic and I mean I I'm kind of pro character in general so I didn't think that was a factor I felt that the the combat with the gangers was easy and somewhat trivial um, the combat with the the main 
bad guy in the adventure. Went a few rounds, and I thought the characters got did rolled really well, especially damage. They used their uh, abilities and meta currency enough talents to proc some of their uh, abilities. Sorry, meta currency to proc some of their talents and abilities to good effect. And uh, that's hey, if you're a good player and you get into and understand the resource management, that's what you should do. Right, just like the GM saves his DSPs for the end, the player saves their options until the end. And uh, I think they found out some neat clues, and I hope that we will continue. Well, we are continuing next week, adding another player, and I think it will go really well. It's a neat series, little series of adventures uh, at the beginning there of the chaos that occurs in the Mutant Chronicles world. And really, if you haven't caught on or have never seen Mutant Chronicles, you can think of it as sort of Warhammer 2.5k. It is very much chaos from another dimension that comes um, to affect the human race in their solar system. And uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, it's been described as diesel punk as well. So, you know, vultures and spiky hair and big shoulder pads. Just like Warhammer, right? The second game I ran last week was our Legacy of the Witchfire campaign, which is Iron Kingdom's 5e. And we only actually had one encounter because the encounter was pretty damn tough. And... I guess that's just what happens sometimes in 5e. We were one player short, but that shouldn't have mattered because there was four players and one of the players had a jack. It definitely, uh, this encounter, had it been not 5e and not 5e, especially with the death saves, it would have been a TPK. And the main issue was that this creature, this creature for one, did a ton of damage if it hit you. So it, it would effectively one-shot a second level character or knock a second level character out it could put out on average let's see uh 13 plus like over 20 points of damage on average it could put out with a couple hits and big monsters with the the way that 5e is built uh they're gonna hit a lot and the other prop issue that it had is that it had this ability that if you had magic, it would drain magic and then heal itself with that drained magic. And that occurred two times during the combat. So it, you know, they were blasted a couple times with their shotgun, scattergun things, or shoot it, or do some, hits it with some magic. And it just didn't do anything effectively because then it would heal itself the next round. Uh, like it'd, it'd take a round to down a character and then the next round it heal, then it'd, run and down another character. Um, and I think only from a combination of not all the characters were out at the same time, though all of them eventually got knocked out. At least one of the characters had the wherewithal to run to a character to stabilize them. And we had they had a couple potions of healing, so they were able to make the unconscious character chug one. So it was like they were bouncing the bad creature between them and eventually they defeated it, but it was it was pretty brutal, and 
they had to look for a hidey hole to take a at least a short rest before they continued on. But that combat took a while because they were trying to strategize and think uh, as tactically as they could to survive. And uh, well, sometimes sometimes that happens, you know, in the swingy D twenty type system. So there you go. Thursday night was really great. I finally got to play live after a long hiatus of only playing online. And we started our Enemy Within campaign for Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition with the beginning of Enemy in the Shadows. And it was great to see these guys. I haven't seen them in over a year. And there's one guy that we've never met who was a friend of one of our my regular home group players. And we finally got to meet him, which was really cool. So... um and actually, it was it was almost like a networking thing because he is a he does creative writing. He's going to school for creative writing, going to teach at a university potentially, and wants to write fiction. I guess so. Maybe I got someone who can do the fluff for any game I ever design. So that would be kind of neat. I'm also trying to track down artists. I ran into another friend of mine who does who does art and is going to start a Patreon. So uh, it's kind of neat for things to be opening up again. You know, the the wheels are turning, the wheels are turning. So we did run Enemy Within, and what I think was fantastic, gameplay is faster live. Oh my gosh, we got through two chapters of the opening adventure, and I was psyched, and the adventure had some neat moments uh, when the characters all got together. Uh, I mean, Warhammer Fantasy is... The old world is such a, a cool verse. I think it's a zero to hero. There is it's a the class classes in society, and that's important. And uh, I love that my players buy in and they get it. And hey, you know, if you're a peasant, you're not going to talk to a noble person. A noble person is going to look down on you, and they're okay with that because that's the way the verse is. So the whole group got together because uh, one of the characters who is kind of uh, a bit naive about the society. His horse was swindled from them and they got to chase it down. So that's how I got the characters together. He now has a, a some other human companions. He's a, a wood elf, um, not from the human land. And he has some human companions, including someone who can be a spokesperson for him, who is a courtier and someone who can, you know, go through the legalities of things, which is a lawyer. So they're not heavy combat. I mean, the other two characters are a wizard who does have some combat chops, uh, but is a glass cannon, so to speak. And then the other one is a villager. So I think this character, we did look at the, the progression for a villager, and they can get pretty hoss when it comes to like weapon skills. So he's going to start out with as a brawler and eventually go to hand weapons and might be a pretty good fighter. But of course, the main fighting is going to come from the Wood Elf Knight. That's just the way things are. It's not balanced necessarily with regards to stuff you can get or martial prowess. And you just got to use your wit sometime. And we had a base, we had some social encounters effectively. Uh, in the beginning, the first chapter was all social encounters. The goal, since they didn't have a horse, was to get a coach um, to get to the next place. Uh, we had some fun with 
people drinking with the coachman. We had fun with a gambler who was cheating and um, interaction with the noblewoman uh, so that they could actually sit inside the coach as opposed to out. But most of the characters actually sat, had to sit outside. And then we had some combat, um, which went pretty well. I was shocked how well it went based on the fact that only uh, two characters can really fight in the group. But it went pretty well. So um, we got to a really good stopping point. We got to like a really good cliffhanger. I'm not going to spoil it just in case anyone ever plays this campaign. But it was hella satisfying. And I think I'm happy because I picked the right person for the cliffhanger. And I think it's going to work. He was very excited. The players were really excited. And then the cool thing was next to our our gaming store, which is Dragon's Lair San Antonio at the Medical Center, there's a Slackers, which is a like a, they have games and, and it's a bar with games, effectively. And we went next door and had a beer because it's been a long time since we'd seen each other. Uh, we're good friends. We like to do things besides game, but we haven't been able to. I mean, San Antonio is not huge, but it's big enough that, man, if you're working from home, you don't want to drive across town to meet your buddy. And things have just reopened. So it was good to get together. And we're going to play this bi-weekly. So not next week. The next time is going to be the 24th of June. So that'll be in a couple of weeks. But very excited. The campaign looks really neat. A lot of reading. A lot of prep on my part. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a fun verse. Uh, the books are beautiful. Uh, I love the art in the Warhammer fantasy books in general. And the it's a really easy to read layout there's lots of art it's a great production value um that uh the cubicle seven has done uh, with with this game so the first book is enemy in the shadows which is the enemy within and um the shadows over bog boghafen however you pronounce that and the next one is going to be death on the reich uh so good stuff And the last game that I played last week was our Savage Pathfinder game. And this was basically the aftermath of the big battle, the big conflict from the marathon in the land of Numeria, in the Iron Gods-themed one-shot over multiple sessions that Kevin Madison did. On, from the Dungeon Musings channel. And you can watch it and see what crazy antics happened. But this one, this time it was pretty calm. It was very simple. We were trying to catch up on things, helping with the rebuilding. Uh, Kevin, the GM, asked what we were doing in the interim. Right, so my character, who is really about defending Torch, uh, helped, was definitely helping with the rebuilding and... And even training militia, uh, since she's a martial martial based character, so that's what I was doing in the two weeks from the end of the hunting the mutant master, and now, and we had to catch up and help some local businesses with catching up on orders. For example, there is a group of uh, horse trainers, horse um, breeders 
that had an order that is, was like six weeks overdue. So uh, myself and the other player, um, we decided to, okay, we'll take that job. Uh, we used some favors to grab a, a guide who was a wild card in the parlance of the savage world so we wouldn't get lost and get some militia, so some extras that could help bolster the fact that there were only two players that were in that game. And much like, I would say, an old rule set type game, you can get henchmen and call in favors, and that really helps the scalability of Savage Worlds when only a couple people slow up, show up. And I'm trying to learn this um, as I'm recording this, my regular Wednesday game, uh, canceled because a couple of people couldn't show up and I should have some backup, you know, and I just was, it was last minute and I should know better. I should have a backup and I have all these games on roll 20. Um, but I just wasn't ready because it was the last minute thing. And maybe I should need to study up these like just in case, um, and have them ready to go and be ready to roll. And I think I can do that better with the savage worlds. Like if we were to have savage pathfinder or East Texas U, um, or Deadlands, then it'd be so easy to roll roll it in. And these people have can pick their archetypes, or if they have archetypes already. But I don't, you know, I need to build that on the roll twenty. I may have some games on the roll twenty that I'd like to run. Like I have some uh, Delta Green games, for example. And one guy, uh, one of the players, reminded me that I had a have Call of Cthulhu one shots probably, um, but I just didn't. I wasn't prepared. And I apologize to my players, but hey, next time. So back to the Pat Savage Pathfinder game. We took these horses um, towards the place, the town we we're supposed to go. Uh, travel was uh, non-eventful except for one kind of fun event where we ran into a, another horseman, a Kellid horseman, a Black Horses tribe that my character has made friends with. But he seemed kind of shady and he took off really quick after we asked him what we, he was carrying in his bag that he had, his saddlebag, because um, uh, the other character saw something moving in it. So we gave chase, and we did a chase rule. We couldn't chase him because he was too good a horseman, but it was it was pretty fun. Uh, I did roll like three or two or three critical fumbles during that chase, and it was you know I was fatigued, my horse was fatigued. Fortunately, he didn't get injured. Um, and then when we were going. And then after that, our luck turned and we had a couple of days where our horses that we were leading got fatigued. So we finally get to the town, but it's like deserted and we don't find any pirate activity because they're, they're along the river. Sometimes there's pirate raiders and we the scout and myself, we kind of case, you know, examine around the town and we town and we find tracks um, of some small uh, I guess we just discovered there were gremlins. And then meanwhile, the other player was with the henchman and he found like the only person in town and the person in town was pretty evasive. And we, my character being brash, cornered him and said, where are the people? What does that have to do with gremlins? And that's where we stopped. So we left with the cl cliffhanger. And uh, what's interesting too, I mean... There are some games where it takes a long time to progress and you play and play and play. You don't think you're making any headway. Savage World is not like that. You effectively can get an advance every game. I think there used to be used to be slower in the previous edition. 
Um, but in this adventure edition, it is, it is more like um, Shadow of the Demon Lord, where you can get in advance every game and you could potentially have about 16 sessions because you advance once a game and then you progress from novice to season to veteran to legendary and then that's it so i mean you could continue playing because it's still a it could still be a potentially deadly game depending on what the gm or the marshall iron marshall um person who runs the savage world game throws at you so i think I, I don't know. So I, that's a very interesting conversation when we get to Legendary, both in the Savage Pathfinder and in the Deadlands game that I'm running. Like, how far do you go? Um, I don't know. I, I need to read through East Texas University and see, like, by the time... So right, you start as a freshman and you go through the various years and there's, like, various plot points and adventures that you have along the way. But so by the time you get to a senior, are you, like, a Legendary character? I don't know. Is it time to then be like Buffy the Vampire Slayer? It's a good question. I can't wait to run that game. I think that's on the docket after we finish whatever Arlen has planned for Savage, Savage Sewer Crawls. But uh, Shay Webster might actually run some cipher system. So we'll see. We may have to arm wrestle to see who gets to run next. But uh, anyway, it's fun with playing with those guys, so it doesn't matter. And I will talk to you all soon. I think that's it. Maybe I'll just do the outro here. I mean, that is it for this week of my recaps. I promised to change up things. It just uh, has been a strangely busy week. And I don't know why I haven't gotten to things that I wanted to get to. For example, looking at some of the one of the zines that I uh, did the Kickstarter for. And some unboxings that I have sitting here that are still boxed. But, um, and I want to talk about starting other games, um, as well. So maybe I'll talk about that next time and maybe even talk about my favorite genre and why. I mean, I really see that I'm moving towards and liking a lot of post-apocalyptic settings and there are so many different kinds. Um, so maybe that'll be a topic for the next time. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Take care. And that will be it.